0: The following message was recorded live at Three Strands Church. We hope it will bless you, encourage you, and challenge you in your journey of faith. We'd love to pray for you or answer any questions you have. Message us at threestrands.church/contact. If you missed the last few weeks, we've been in a new series called Crossroads, and we're really covering the same story six different times. It's the story in the Bible of Jesus' execution how he was um, beaten and abused, spit on, ridiculed, mocked, ultimately led out to a cross to his own grave where he would hang and die um, for the sins of humanity. And, and we're zeroing in on that story six weeks in a row. And um, so somebody texted us last night and asked if this series was over. Veronica, I think she's like, is this series over yet? I think that's how she said it, maybe. I don't know. but. Um, And so not quite, next week's the last week, but we're looking each week at a different character from the story that was around Jesus during that execution and trying to learn from them how we can deal with these big moments of life, these crossroads decisions where you can choose to go one way or the other and whichever way you choose to go is going to alter or change the course of your life. Permanently, right? And so that's what these are. And so we've looked at a lot of them so far. Things like how to deal with pressure. How do you um, not not make choices that lead you to regret? Um, things like that. So we've looked at a lot of different characters so far. Um, does anybody remember any of the characters we looked at? This is like the audience participation portion of our service today. We don't always do that, but does anybody remember like any of the characters we've looked at so far? You can raise your hand in confidence, Abby. You don't have to give us one of these. Oh, all right, Abby, go ahead. Yeah, the two the smooth criminals from last week. Is that what she said? Yeah, Kenny wants me to play a song with every church service here. Last week's would have been smooth criminal. Uh, he wanted under pressure a couple weeks ago. I can't remember all of them, but yeah. And so, uh, yeah, as good. The two criminals last week, right? That was the moment of what? Anybody remember? Yeah, the moment of truth, right? Okay, anybody remember any of the other characters we looked at so far? Front row dominating this thing so far. Yeah, Simon the Siren, right? Anybody remember what that was? The moment of opportunity. Somebody not in the front row. Help me out on this thing, right? Anybody remember any of the other characters we looked at so far? Two more. You got the uh, two most recent. What about the first two? Anybody remember? Yeah, okay. That's good. Regret's not a character, but good answer anyhow, Raven. Good answer. Yeah, the moment of regret. Who was the character that week? Anybody remember who the characters were? Oh, yeah, three rows deep. All right, that's good, good answer. It's not right, but good answer. Yeah, it was the Roman soldiers, but Pilate was part of that story. That's good, yeah, I like that, okay. And then what about week two? Anybody remember week two? I'll give it to you as the moment of pressure. Anybody remember who the characters were that week? Anybody? The mob, mob. yeah, the crowd around Jesus, right? The mob, good job, all right. It's Pretty front row heavy on that. I'm not saying the front row is heavy, I'm just saying the answers were front row heavy, Chad. I was, you got to be very careful what you say. People get their feelings hurt, you know. So, all right. So. <laughs> My wife's in the front row. That could not go well for me later today. I'm just saying. So. But uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully she'll take that uh, with a grain of salt. But, All right. So um, today I'm going to ask you a question. Here's the question. You ready? Have you ever felt pain? Do show of hands. Have you ever felt pain? Come on, you can still participate. It's okay. Have you ever felt pain? All right. What's those movies where the guy doesn't feel pain? Remember the ones we watched there with the glass or whatever? Remember the uh, Unbreakable? Yeah, Unbreakable. The guy doesn't, like a comic book hero or whatever. Um, And uh, yeah, so all of us, right, except for the liars, have felt pain, right? Uh, You don't have to be very old before you experience pain. In fact, most people come out of the womb experiencing pain. They're upset. On day one, they're, they're feeling miserable. The air's too cold. Somebody took them away from their mom. They're all wet and slimy. They just don't like life at that moment. And if they happen to come out not crying, it won't be very long until they are crying, right? They'll be hungry. Uh, their dirt diaper will be dirty. Somebody be smacking them on the back, trying to get them to do something. Like, they won't like it, right? Somebody cleaning them up. It's like, let me alone. I've just had nine months of not being touched at all. Now you're all over me. Get away from me. And so even from like day one, you can see We all kind of experience discomfort, pain, frustration, and uh, you don't have to live very long before those pains seem to get worse. They become like relational pains where somebody leaves you and you thought you'd be with them forever, or somebody dies and you thought that, uh, you know, you'd have them in your life forever or you're just not ready for them to be gone. And so pain just seems to kind of get more and more real to us the older we get. And I, I hate to break it to you, but if you're here today and you're really young which is not me anymore, but if you're really young, I want you to know, like, it's, it's really only going to get worse. It you know, it's, I hate to, like, just say it how it is, but it's like, you know, you don't graduate from high school then go to college and graduate and get a career and family and all this stuff, and then you retire, and then you're sitting around and you're, like, 7 you're like, oh, all the pain's gone now. It doesn't work like that. It actually gets worse the older you get. The pain gets worse. And so at our house, the last couple weeks been pretty painful. I'm not going to lie. It's it's almost like somebody's out to get us is what it feels like. I made a list of all the stuff that broke at our house in the last month. Now, it's a lot for this to be just random. Okay, so I want you to know that I'm not into like, you know, casting spells or reading the tea leaves or checking my sign or anything like that. But I got to tell you this month, I kind of felt like something in the universe was out to get me. So I made this little list to share with you, and you tell me if you think that just randomly this stuff could all break in just the last few weeks. So our oven broke. How many people have had an oven break this year? It's pretty rare, right? It doesn't happen all the time. How many people, maybe every 10 years, 15 years or something. So our oven broke this past month. One of the side mirrors on our car busted off. I'm not going to say how that happened cuz that could get me in trouble later today too. But one of the side mirrors on our car got busted off. Now, how many people have had a side mirror on your car busted off this year? Not many. Only a couple, only a couple of people. All right. We're going to start a support group after church for Jennifer Raven and Stephanie, all right? So it's okay. I don't know. But uh, all right. so we had our oven break, a side mirror in our car broke, Stephanie's computer broke. It's getting bad already, isn't it? I mean, if, that, if just those three things broke in a month, you'd be like, it's out of control, you know? Then six of my dad's ribs broke. I mean, what are the odds that just those four happened? It didn't stop there. I brought you a picture of this one. Our dog's knee broke. I got that on there, right? So that's our dog. He's at home right now, miserable on some pain meds. So he had to have surgery. I didn't even know dogs had ACLs. I thought that was just, like, professional athletes that lost those, but he blew out his ACL chasing a goose. Like, the odds of all this stuff happening were so astronomical. I was like, there's no way all this happened in the same month, all right? You have to, is there a blank screen? You have to take that down because Lily's about to cry. Our dog's so, like, precious looking, all right? And then this week, I go out to our kitchen. I open one of the cabinets, and I pull out a dish from the cabinet. And as soon as I pull it out, I dropped it. Shattered all over the floor. And it was like the straw that broke the camel's back. You know what I mean? Like the icing on the cake. Like so many things had broken this month. And I'm just like in that moment. I don't know if you ever had a moment like this, but it's like time kind of stood still. And I was just looking at the dish fall to the ground. Like I knew it was going to happen. And then it shatters all all over the floor. And I'm just staring at it. And in that moment, I just said, why, Lord? Why? It's like everything is out to get me. All right. A week, a month of pain, brokenness. But that isn't really the kind of brokenness we're talking about today. That's painful. All that stuff is frustrating. When it doesn't go your way, it's annoying. But that isn't really the kind of brokenness or pain we're talking about today in this session. What I'm talking about is the kind of pain that is deeper down than that. The pain that just doesn't last for a month, but lasts for months or years. Or the kind of pain that's so intense that it feels like your life can't go on. That kind of pain. Deep down, either super long-lasting pain or super intense pain That just gets and feels so overwhelming that you think you can't handle it anymore. And so today what I want to talk with you about is the moment of heartbreak. The moment of heartbreak. So if you're a note taker, just jot that down. That's our title for today. The moment of heartbreak. And maybe you've experienced that kind of pain. That just deep down in your soul, you think nothing's going to be the same after this. I didn't see that coming. I didn't expect that. And this has just lasted so long I can't even think of how it would be any other way anymore. Just that kind of heartbreak type of pain. That's really what we're going to talk about today. And to do that, we're going to go back to this same story of Jesus' execution. But today we're going to look at another set of characters that are around him. A group of women. I know what some of you are thinking right now. Heartbreak and a group of women. But I'm not going there, Chad. Don't do that to me, all right? Don't I'm trying to stay out of trouble up here today, right? But we're going to look at this group of women that are around Jesus as he's being tortured, tormented, ultimately led out to the cross, and then executed on the cross. There's a group of women around him. So to get to kind of the context, because all four of the gospel writers talk about them, let me just read you a piece of Mark's account so we can kind of all get on the same page. Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 40, he says, Some women were there. Where? They were there with Jesus after he's been tortured and beaten and made fun of and whipped and ridiculed, and now he's being led out to the cross. He's going to hang on the cross, and there were some women with him there watching from a distance, including Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph, and Salome. Now, the other gospel writers include the names of some other women, too. Um, And then, so you're told in the other um, accounts of this story that in addition to these Uh, three women. Mary, Jesus's mother, was also there. And her sister, or Jesus's aunt, was also there. And then it says, many other women were there also. So there's this group of women, some named, some unnamed. And then he goes on in verse 41 and says, they had been followers of Jesus and had served him. If you're an underliner, underline followers of Jesus and served him. While he was in Galilee, many other women who had come with him to Jerusalem were there also. Okay, so now see the scene. But before we kind of dive into the text we're going to spend most of our time on, I just want to point out two things just from Mark's description that kind of stuck out to me as I was reading through this this week. And the first one was this. If the account of Jesus' death on the cross was a lie, if it didn't really happen, if him rising from the dead was a fairy tale concocted by all of his closest followers to trick people into thinking that Jesus had miraculously come back from the dead when he hadn't, so that they would keep following them, this is an awful way to do it, all right? To include these women in the story as some of the witnesses, not smart. To include, especially even their names, not a good idea. So you got to understand, like that might hold some weight today in America, but 2,000 year, years ago in Israel and under Roman rule, to list these women as eyewitnesses of what happened is almost worthless because women at that time and in that culture were really just property. They couldn't testify in court. They couldn't own land. They couldn't divorce their husbands. They didn't get to vote on anything. They had literally no rights. They were just property. You ask me, is that right? No, obviously that's not right. I'm not telling you that's right. I'm just telling you that's what it was at that time. So for these four writers to include these women as some kind of eyewitness to what happened would be foolish of them if they were trying to convince you of a lie. They would be better off to highlight the fact that apparently Joseph of Arimathea was there, a, a good, righteous man, that uh, apparently Nicodemus was there because these two guys show up and actually bury Jesus in a tomb, but he doesn't do that. They don't do that in their accounts. They, they focus a lot on these women, that a, that a woman anoints Jesus before his death. That women, a large number of them, were there following with Jesus as he was led out to be executed. That they were at the cross having a little bit of a conversation with him even at one point. That they were the first ones that came to the empty tomb and they were the first people to see him alive. And then not only that, but women were the first people that Jesus gave the gospel message to and said, Go tell other people about it. None of that makes sense if you're trying to sell a lie. Because their word wouldn't even have been believed by most people. And then on top of that, they go ahead and identify some of the specific women. And this would be even more foolish because look at the women they identified. Oh, okay, well, here's the eyewitnesses of everything that happened. Well, is your mom? Well, she's not biased. You know, it's your aunt. Well, she won't lie to make the cer- story. And then it's Mary Magdalene, a, a de- formerly demon possessed prostitute. Oh, well, her word will be believed. So even if they weren't women in that culture, they kind of picked out some bad. Your Honor, I'd like to call to the stand the defendant's mother. I'm sure she'll be neutral and give you an honest opinion of what happened. What's it doesn't even make sense, but they did that. In other words, the fact that they describe these women being at the tomb, being at the cross, being there with Jesus as he's led out to die, the fact that they list even some of them by name is really proof that this is true. Because there would be no other good reason to put them in the story. The other thing I love about this passage is Mark's description of the women. I told you to underline it if you got it there. But did you see his description of them? That they followed Jesus and they served Jesus. And I can't hardly think of a better description of my life. Like, Like when I die on the tombstone, I'd love it if it said, Here lies David. He followed Jesus and he served Jesus. Even when he had heartbreak, even when times were tough, he followed Jesus and he served Jesus. All right, so we'll come back to that. But now you can see the scene, right? We, we've talked about this scene several weeks in a row. Jesus has already been abused. He's bleeding, bruised, been stripped of all, all dignity. He's been shamed and ridiculed, spit on, had his beard ripped out, thorns jammed down into his head, mockingly had a purple robe put on him put on him as, as they say to him, like, Hail, King of the Jews. Oh, now you're ready, you king. You've got a robe and a crown and a scepter. And they give him all this stuff just to make fun of him. They take turns smacking him and hitting him, abusing him. And he's just so bloodied, so beaten, that as he walks out to the cross to where he's going to be executed, he's so weak that he can't even carry his own cross anymore, which they would make you do. So they had to get this guy to help him carry it. And then you find out that along the way is not just this mob of people ridiculing him, not just this one guy who steps out from the crowd and is forced to help him, not just the Roman soldiers who are abusing him, but turns out there's this crowd of women following him. There to serve him. And let me read you Luke's account. I'm going to read you kind of the whole paragraph. Luke chapter 23. And then we'll back up and kind of study or dig through it together. Luke chapter 23, starting... In verse 27, this is the scene that's playing out. It says, A large crowd trailed behind him, including many grief-stricken women. But Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. This today would be don't cry for me. Argentina. All right, Kenny wants a song every week, so we're trying that. He, Jesus turns and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are coming when they will say fortunate indeed are the women who are childless, the wombs that have not borne a child and the breasts that have never nursed. People will beg the mountains, fall on us and plead with the hills, bury us. For if these things are done when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? But Jesus' friends, down in verse 49, but Jesus' friends, including the women who had followed him from the Galilee, stood at a distance watching. Now virtually everybody who's close to Jesus or abandons him, or, or is, is a follower of him, abandons him in this moment. Except for John, and except for this group of women. Okay, And John we're going to talk about next week a little bit. That doesn't necessarily mean they're more courageous than Peter or James or Nathaniel or any of those other disciples, but it it could speak to the fact that they understood they were so insignificant to the culture that they weren't a threat to anybody. Peter could have been executed if he stayed, but they're not going to grab these women and execute them for crying and following Jesus. So let's back up through the passage just for a second. Let me kind of walk you through what's happening here and just highlight a few things for you. So here they are walking along with Jesus. He's, they're grief-stricken, crying, um, heartbroken, right? Wouldn't we be? If Jesus was our son, he was being led to his execution, if you had to watch your own child die, wouldn't you be heartbroken? If the man who rescued you and saved you and cast demons out of you, literally saved your life when people wanted to stone you to death, Now he's being executed. Wouldn't you be heartbroken? And so I don't know if you could be in more emotional pain in this moment than these women were. Definitely not Mary, his mother. And from what we've described, I don't know if you could be in more physical pain than Jesus was. Is it possible? I don't know. And yet, in this moment of heartbreak, there's something beautiful that takes place. Jesus stops everything and he turns to them. He's going to talk to them. He's going to address their grief and address their pain and their crying and their heartbreak. But not maybe in the way we would. It's amazing enough that he even does that, to be honest. He's the one suffering, it seems. He's the one about to die, and yet he turns to them to offer some words of wisdom, some words of truth. That isn't what most of us do in heartbreak. We don't do what Mary and these other women did. We don't stay close to Jesus like they did. No, we tend to run and hide. Let's get honest about it for a second. Jesus turns to them and he addresses their heartbreak. They stay right there close to him and they listen. But that isn't what most of us do. Most of us, when we feel heartbreak, we either run and hide or we get depressed and we think God's abandoned us. Now, maybe you've been heartbroken before and you've felt one of those things. You felt like, I just want to hide from the world till it all goes away. Or God's abandoned me. God wouldn't let this all happen to me if he really loved me. But neither of those things are true. And these women, um, along with Jesus' help, are going to show us that that's not the truth. How do I know that? Because God told us in his Word, Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He's close to the brokenhearted. He comes in and he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. That's the kind of God we have. He hasn't abandoned you. And so I ask you, could you be any more hurt on the inside than Mary was hurting right now? And yet she wouldn't leave Jesus. And could you be any more hurt on the outside than Jesus was right now? And yet in all that pain, he takes the time to address those who are hurting. Wow, what a Savior. I share with you guys last week, I've been at the deathbed of maybe about 10 or or so people in my life. But never once in their moment of death, when they were just minutes or even hours from death, never once in those times were they trying to console me. Every time we were kind of trying to console them. Yet Jesus turns and he looks for a way to address their heartbreak. But he doesn't do what we would do. He doesn't coddle them. He doesn't try to make the pain go away. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but he actually kind of made it worse. Do you notice that? He's like, it's going to get worse. That's what he tells them basically. It's like, you think it's bad now? Just wait. He doesn't try to fix any of their problems. He doesn't try to heal them from the inside out. He really just speaks the truth to them. And, and, and when we are heartbroken and in great pain, like deep down pain, what you really need the most is not for somebody to come along and lie to you. Not for somebody to come along and coddle you and tell you it's all going to be okay. They're there. It'll all be better. Just give it enough time because I want you to know that time actually doesn't heal all wounds. And hiding from the world won't make it better. And sometimes what we need is really just somebody who has the courage to speak the truth to us when we're heartbroken. So if you're here today and you're heartbroken, I want to Offer you the same truth Jesus offered these women. And it might sound like it's worse, I don't know. Just offering you the truth. So look back with me at what he says, because I don't want you to believe the lies. The lies that bombard our head when we feel heartbroken are all these fantasies, the worst-case scenarios, the the future's always gonna be hopeless kind of feelings. But listen to what Jesus says. Let's look back at it, starting in verse 28 again. And just hang with me. It's kind of a tough passage to understand, and I'll walk us through it, okay? Verse 28 says, But Jesus turned and said to them, here's what he actually said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't cry for me, but cry for yourselves and for your children. Okay, that's a lot of honor in that statement, I would think. But then he goes on, he says, here's why I'm saying that. Here's why I'm saying that. For the days are coming when people will say fortunate indeed are the women who are childless, the wombs that have not borne a child and the breasts that have never nursed. People will beg the mountains. In verse 30 here is actually a quote from the Old Testament, Hosea chapter 10 verse 8. He says, people will beg the mountains, fall on us and plead with the hills, bury us. Then verse 31, he says, For if these things are done when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Now let me kind of sum up for you what he's saying. Okay, If you're a note taker, you take some notes on this. But here's really, here's really what he's saying in this passage. He's saying, don't be sad for me. Be sad for the rest of the world. Because the days are coming when you're going to be more sad than this. When it's going to be worse than it is right now. The future is actually going to get more bleak than it is right now. If you think this is bad, this is nothing. The days are actually going to come where people are going to say, I'm glad I didn't bring any children into this world. I'm glad you'd be better off not to even been born. Now, I'm not saying we're in that moment now. But we could be. And and I'm not saying that those moments are like on a straight upward trajectory of awfulness. But over the years, don't you think there have been times and cultures on our earth where people have said things like, bring a kid into this? Not all this craziness. I'm not going to do it. Don't you think there were uh, people marching to gas chambers during World War II thinking to themselves, I'm glad we don't have kids like those folks. Don't you think? Don't you think there are people on the streets of Ukraine right now thinking like, have a baby? Are you nuts? We're not going to bring a baby into all this. Don't you think you've heard people over the years and even in America say like, I don't know about bringing kids into this world today. It's just getting crazier and crazier. In other words, what Jesus is saying is like, it's not going to get any better. It's going to keep getting worse. And then he ends it by saying uh, in verse 31, for if these things are done when the tree is green, what will it be like when it is dry? Here's what he's saying. ready? If they're willing to do all this to me, What do you think they're going to do to you? If they're willing to abuse the Son of God this way, what do you think they're going to do when you say you follow him? If they're willing to mistreat the God of the universe and execute and torture him, I got news for you. It's going to be worse for you. Now, I wouldn't put all of that inside of any Hallmark card that you're going to get somebody who's like grieving or heartbroken but it was the truth, was it not? Many of them would go on to be tortured and executed even worse than Jesus was. And he addresses their grief with some truth. With some truth. In fact, just a few weeks earlier in John chapter 15, we won't go there, but you can look it up yourself. John chapter 15, I think starting in like verse 17 or 18 and then kind of that rest of that paragraph. But Jesus says to all of his followers, hey, if they hate you, know that they hated me first. If they're going to abuse and mistreat and persecute me, they're going to abuse and mistreat and persecute you. You should expect it. Don't be shocked by it. It's going to get worse for you when people find out you're following me. Is that any different in our world today? Are the people in our world just waiting to treat you great because you love Jesus? Are they willing to honor your desires in the way they teach your children at school? I don't think they care what you think. I don't think the world cares what I want. They care about what they want. Are my coworkers getting friendlier and friendlier? Or are they out for themselves? Are children getting better and better behaved? Or are they harder and harder to manage? He's just being real about what they're about to face. Now, in this story, I'm going to tell it to you first, then we'll show it to you again, okay? But in this story, what's uncovered is this blueprint for how to deal with heartbreak. And what it isn't is run and hide at your house. What it isn't is sit around throw yourself a pity party. What it isn't is for somebody to come around and coddle you, pat you on the back and tell you it's all going to be okay. But I want to give it to you today. So if you're here today and you're going through some heartbreak, this is the formula that will work. If you're not going through heartbreak, hang in there. Sad to tell you, it's coming. Okay? So here's the formula. Let me give it to you. Piece number one. These women in their interaction with Jesus show it to us. Piece number one. Keep getting close to Jesus. When you're heartbroken, the tendency is to run away from Jesus. To stop reading my Bible. To stop talking to him. To believe falsely that he's left me high and dry. And so what good does it do me to talk to him? To believe in your heart that He's out to get you and the universe is against you like I felt this week. And so it's like, ah, reading my Bible. I'm miserable. Just miserable. And in your misery you sit and you kind of get more miserable. So keep getting close to Jesus. Don't run and hide. Don't believe the lies. Instead, draw near to Him and He will draw near to you. Believe in your heart that a day with Him is better than a thousand days anywhere else you could be. Get yourself to a solitary place and pray and then press into God's people through his church. And if you will do that, that will help heal your heartbreak. That's part of the formula. I I wish you could just go sit and binge eat a bunch of junk food by yourself and cry it out and time would make it all better, but it doesn't really work that way. And the people who take that approach usually just get more bitter, more jaded at life. So keep getting close to Jesus. Here's the second piece of the formula that they illustrate for us. Keep getting truth from Jesus. I love this because we read it, didn't we? Jesus didn't give them any platitudes. He didn't give them any like fortune cookie responses. He didn't give them all this like uh, sunshine and roses kind of talk. He turns to them. he's like, guys, don't cry. If you're going to cry for anybody, cry for yourselves because your life's about to get worse. I mean, if they treated me this badly, how bad are they going to treat the rest of you? And he turns and goes back to dying. So like, isn't there anything more, Jesus? a little bit of hope? How about a promise? You got, it doesn't always fit in like the you know the Hope and promise book. Sometimes it's just the truth. And so they keep getting truth from Jesus. He quotes to him from the Old Testament, in the, of all the verses in the Old Testament, he could quote to them in this moment, He chooses to quote a verse from the Old Testament that says, the day's coming when people are going to say, I wish that mount would just follow me and put me out of my misery. I wish the hill would just follow me and crush me. That's the verse, Jesus? But yeah. So keep getting truth from Jesus. This is the truth from Jesus right here. It's his word. He is the word. He's given us a book of truth to walk us through heartbreak. And it isn't always going to make you feel super great at first. Sometimes it's just what you need to hear. And so I want to challenge you today to stop looking for, as this phrase kept popping in my head all week this week, stop looking for your truth. And just start looking for the truth. See, there is no such thing as your truth. Your truth is actually a lie from the world that really means do whatever you feel like doing. That's what your truth means. Oh, you got to just find your truth. And what they mean is, like, go with your gut. What's right for you is right for you. That's garbage. I don't care how strongly you feel like the light is green. If it's red, I need you to stop your car. It doesn't matter what your truth is in that moment. It only matters what the truth is. Because if you just follow your truth, you could cause an accident. You got it? Your truth is a made-up thing from the world that tries to reassure you that it's okay to just do whatever you feel like doing. So stop seeking after your truth and start looking for the truth when you feel heartbroken. This is the best place to find it. Stay close to Jesus and keep hunting through the truth during that time. Read it. Talk about it with people. Let other people share it with you even if it doesn't make you feel all warm and fuzzy. And that will help you get over your heartbreak. You can't trust your heart in those moments. You can't go with your feelings or trust in your truth because your heart, the Bible says, is the most deceitful of all things in the world. It's desperately wicked. You can't even know how deceitful or tricky your heart is. You can't trust your emotions. If I trusted my emotions all the time, I would never eat a vegetable. Let's be honest about it. But they're good for me, and so I do it. Here's piece number three to the formula. You ready? Keep getting ready to serve Jesus. These women are following Jesus. They're there just to serve him, and they'll do whatever he needs them to do. Ready to serve him. Nothing seems to heal a broken heart like serving Jesus by serving others. Why is that? Well, because it takes all the focus off of me and puts all the focus back on God. And that's really what I need to get over heartbreak. I need to realize that it's not really all about me. And, and, and you can't just stay home and sulk. You can't just sit and wallow in your misery. You've got to get out and serve some other people. Love on your neighbor. Take on a serving role at your church. Help somebody around you that needs help. Comfort someone else, and it will actually bring comfort to you. That's the model that's being showed here. See, you can hide or you can heal, but you can't do both at the same time. So you get to choose. Do I want to hide or do I want to heal? What we need in our lives is a little bit less woe is me and a little bit more what's up with you. And we would all be well served to live our life that way. You see those three things? This is the formula when you're broken hearted when you feel like you've experienced a pain that seems to have lasted for so long you can't get rid of it, or a pain that is so intense that you don't know how to deal. This is the formula. Keep getting close to Jesus. Keep getting truth from Jesus. And keep getting ready to serve Jesus. Now, some of you are like, I never am close to Jesus. And I never serve Jesus. And I've never really looked to Jesus for truth. Then just swap out the word keep with start. Ready? You got, you got me? We can adapt that formula on the fly. You ready? Start getting close to Jesus by spending some time with him every day and pressing into his community, the church, right? Start getting truth from Jesus by reading what he says, letting other people share it with you, listening when somebody's preaching instead of checking your Facebook messages, right? And start getting ready to serve Jesus. Take on a roll. Bake some cookies and take them to the neighbor. Offer to fix your neighbor's broke-down car for free. Invite somebody over to your house for dinner or volunteer to go play golf with them, on a, like a round of golf. Just spend some time with some people. Make somebody else's life better. Now, like I said, it doesn't get any better. So where we left this story off, it doesn't get better in the story either. Jesus would go on to die. That wouldn't be better. That's worse. And so they go to the cross, and Jesus dies. And I want you to see, after he dies, how Luke wraps up his account of the story. See if you can remember those three things that the women are kind of illustrating for us. They stay close to Jesus, they keep getting truth from Jesus, and they keep preparing to serve Jesus. Now listen to how he ends this story when Jesus is killed and then taken off the cross in verse 55. As his body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where his body was placed. So did they leave him when he died, or did they keep following him? Keep following him, right? Stay close to Jesus, okay? Then verse 56. Then they went home and prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. That sounds an awful lot like they kept preparing to serve him, doesn't it? They had a plan. They were going to keep serving Jesus, stay close to him. But now look at the end of the verse. But by the time they were finished, the Sabbath had begun, so they rested as required by the law. The law, that's the way of saying the Old Testament. So you see what happened here, right? Jesus dies. They stay close to him even after he dies. Jesus... uh, um, is in the, in the tomb, and they go back home to prepare some ointments and spices to come serve and anoint his body. They had a plan to stay prepared to serve him. But then, even though they wanted to do all that and they had their own agenda, they still followed what God's Word said to do. I'm sure Jesus' mother wanted to come right back to the tomb and anoint his body, come right back to the tomb and care for her son who has just died. But yet, she still follows God's instruction. Anyhow, they wait to come back on Sunday. It's interesting, isn't it? You can see this formula in their heartbreak. Do you see it? They wouldn't stop following him even when he was dead. They were prepared to serve him even when it all looked hopeless. And they obeyed God's word even when they had their own agenda to carry out. Hmm. This is how you deal with heartbreak. This is how you heal. Now listen, listen. Listen, if you missed everything else, listen. This isn't a sermon today about how to get out of heartbreak. We're all going to experience heartbreak. It comes to all of us. This isn't a sermon on how to avoid all of it. This is a sermon on how to deal with it. This is a sermon on how to handle it when it shows up. In other words, I'm not asking you today if you have pain. I'm asking you today if pain has you. So let me ask you it. Does pain have you? Does a guy you paralyzed, does heartbreak have you holed up in your home, refusing to press into God's community, refusing to get any answers from his word, believing that he's abandoned you when he hasn't, believing that it'll never be any better or it's all hopeless in the future because it's been like this for so long or it's so intense? If so, then what I want to ask you to do today is press into Jesus, trust his words, and serve him by serving some other people. And if you do that, you will heal your heartbreak. If you do that, your pain will, over time, go away. And it won't be because you waited long enough, and it won't be because it just magically disappeared or because somebody took the time to baby you. It'll just be because you follow God's plan for how to deal with heartbreak. I can promise you this today. He hasn't abandoned you and nothing that has happened is out of his control. So as bad as it seems and as hopeless and helpless and heartbroken as you feel, in this moment, I want to just challenge you, press into Jesus, trust his word, trust his word and start serving him by serving somebody else and you'll heal. We could all heal today from our heartbreak. Can I pray for you? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for our church. Thank you for the people who have come out today to sing songs of worship to you, to fellowship and eat a meal together, to hear truth and grace from your word. God, right now, would you shower your glory down on our room and give the people here um, the conviction and the courage to step out in faith today and take the next walk, the next step, the next piece of faith they need to take in their life. For some of us here, maybe that's just the commitment that I'm going to come back next week. For some of us here, maybe that's the commitment that I'm going to go home and start reading God's truth every day. For some of us here, maybe that's I'm going to step out of my comfort zone and just serve some other people in my world. For some of us here, it's going to be, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and just ask God for help. Just talk to him about what's going on inside my heart and just be honest. I don't know what the next step of faith looks like for everybody in the room, Lord, but would you give them the conviction and the courage to act on it today, to not just be a hearer of the word, but to be a doer. Please, God, we need you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. What an amazing challenge from God's word for all of us. We hope you will start putting everything you've learned in this session into practice. And be sure to subscribe to the 3SC podcast so you'll never miss any new content. Thanks for listening.